Hi. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> good. How are you? <laughs> I'm pretty good. Um, yeah. Wow. Is this the first time we've spoken? Literally the first time we've ever spoken. We've texted. We have that's texted. It. We've DM'd. We've emailed. These are the ways that we communicate in 2018. We don't use the telephone <laughs> as a friend of mine does bemoan, but she's a little bit older. So um, that's understandable, I suppose. I have a friend whose voicemail, do you know who Matilda Bernstein Sycamore is? Yes. I used to live on the same block as her in Seattle and we hung out all the time. Not to oh be one, not to well, be one I... of those people who's like, <laughs> yes, and actually I walked her dog. No, <laughs> but, but no, she's lovely. Go on. <laughs> yeah, she's great. And her, her voicemail was all about, you know. It was something like people say voice. I, I know it so well now because I've heard it a bunch of times. It was just like people say voicemail is a thing of the past, you know, like really, <laughs> you know, like reclaiming voicemail. So I, uh, I appreciate the phone call, but I also appreciate this. I'm glad. And I like our like little um, first conversation party. Mm -hmm. We're like doing this with each other on air. Yeah. Together. We're all, we're all <laughs> learning things together. Um, so I think it's going to be very exciting. <laughs> well, um, it's Friday. We're recording this on a Friday. Um, this is the first full week of the end of daylight savings time, um, which has been really rough on me. How do you, are you okay with that stuff? I'm fine with it. You know, we just, I think, passed a proposition to ban it in California. So Whoa. there's always hope. Yeah. So wait, California would have like a different, would be on a different clock from like Oregon and uh, Washington? That's the first thing I said. I think we're just going to have something called California time, which I think <laughs> is amazing. That's perfect. I love that so much. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like like a character like named Joe California from like a 90s movie. <laughs> it's like, come on, baby, it's California time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I can see the movie poster for that now. Um, it's in, definitely in that era of like Encino Man, um, the classic Brendan Fraser vehicle where he plays. Uh, like all movies the... that were Denver, the last dinosaur adjacent. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> like, what was that? Very. Um, all movies that were sort of like Denver, the last dinosaur adjacent. Is that real like... or did you make that up as a joke? No. Oh my gosh, it's real. Denver, the last dinosaur. Okay, He's my I'm friend and a whole up. lot more. No, Definitely he lost. had sunglasses and rode a skateboard. Of course he did. It was a dinosaur. It was the 1990s. Oh, this character. I remember him. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. French-American cartoons from the 90s were like the weirdest fucking things. I don't know what, what was up with them. There was another one called Claude or Claude, I suppose. Um, Claude. Claude. I was trying to do a French Claude. Um oh uh, it just sounded like a really gross word that's claude oh. yeah, i was no, imagining like it kind of sounds, like sounds like uh no it was actually clyde um it was about oh, like a weird okay. robot who, but it was also french it was french canadian not french american but um all oh, that shit was so weird i definitely have seen denver the last dinosaur but i feel like he was kind of he got lost in the skateboard-wearing, sunglass-wearing dinosaurs of the 90s. 
Yeah, you know? I feel like there were. I feel like he had some competition back then. Yeah. Now they're they're pretty much. You know, I guess they went extinct or something. There's not that many. Are there like? I don't think like that's what cool is on a cartoon anymore. Where it's like, the sunglasses all you have to stuff. do is like ride a skateboard and wear sunglasses. Yeah. No, I don't think that. Um, I don't think that's so much a thing anymore. I um, I was thinking about this the other day, and like when I was growing up, dinosaurs were just like the thing. Like everyone was into dinosaurs. Like it wasn't gendered. Totally. It wasn't um, age related. Like it was a pretty broad range because Jurassic Park was out. Land Before Time was out. Um, it was like this really weird. I don't know like how old you are, but do you remember that? Yeah. Well, I'm 41. So okay. I'm old. <laughs> That's I'm, not old. I'm out of... 41 isn't old. I thought you were like 30 something. <laughs> so good oh, job. Well, thank you. Not that looking um, young is the most important thing and that people should, and I think people should be able to actually age um, normally. But I also do think that homosexuals age better than heterosexuals. <laughs> I think that science has well, proven that. I think we view our, our faces as our responsibilities, you know? Yes. <laughs> so I think it's a different, <laughs> it's a certain different thing. But dinosaurs were, dinosaurs were definitely big when I was a kid. And I mean, Land Before Time is, I think, a bit older than Jurassic Park, right? So I think, I think so, that, yeah. but we had we had a movie called Baby Secret of the Lost Legend. <laughs> Did you know that movie? <laughs> okay, Secret of the Lost <laughs> Legend. Talk about just like a bad, just like hey, what's a good title? I, let's just take all of them. <laughs> I'm looking this up. <laughs> let's and make it as vague as possible. <laughs> so this is about the Secret of the Lost. They legend. find a dinosaur that. <laughs> yes is still alive yes they find a they find actually a family but they decide to uh they decide to kill one of them sorry spoiler (laughs) alert spoiler alert you've had enough time to see baby by now so if you haven't seen baby (laughs) sorry yeah they kill they kill like one of the parents and then they try to kidnap um the well they they capture one of the adults and then they try to also capture and kidnap baby um, who is the secret of the lost legend, I suppose. Um, and they, I don't know who they are like scientists. You remember like how scientists were really bad, like for a long time. So is this like, this isn't like a good scientist versus evil poachers movie. It's just like evil scientists versus what, like a kid who needs to save it. (laughs) Well, I think there are like some good scientists, but it's like, yeah, it's usually like scientists versus travel writers. (laughs) (laughs) That's like the the main conflict upon which our society is structured. I think so too. You thought it was capitalism versus socialism, but in fact, the underlying, (laughs) (laughs) it's um, Bruce Chatwin versus Stephen Hawking. Um, So... Uh, anyway, that was like, that's as close to a Dennis Miller joke as I'm going to get. I think. Um, <laughs> I'm glad we got that through pretty quickly. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, anyway, so we had Baby, and then of course there was like the dinosaur exhibit at um, Epcot Center that mm-hmm. everybody was obsessed with as a kid, and yes. um, then like you know museums would start putting these giant animatronic dinosaurs in, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I think that they. Really, they live on through us. That's beautiful. <laughs> and through the secrets of lost legends. Mm. <laughs> yeah. No. Did you ever see We're Back, a dinosaur story? <laughs> no. We're back? We're back, a 
a dinosaur story. Um, that one was about like two brothers. We don't, we'll get off this in a second, I promise. But I do want to talk about this one just real quick. It's about like two scientist brothers who go back, who develop time machines and decide to use it to go back in time and like bring dinosaurs to the present. And like there's a good brother who like gives them. <laughs> this like cereal that makes them like intelligent and like able to communicate with human beings and like what? good basically and then the evil one gives them the stuff that like makes them like killing machines so he can have them in like a circus or something uh and it, the voice Seems like you'd rather have the good ones in the circus why would you want the I killing machines no i i think because they're easier dangerous. well he's essentially enslaving them right so like he or like if mm. they're animals that's not what that is but um He's turning them from like intelligent beings into like mindless uh, drones that he can control and and make do crimes for him. Um, but that was produced by Amblimation, so that was Spielberg, uh, a Spielberg joint. Oh. And here's like the voice cast of this movie. You've got I'll start with the the not so big ones. Yearly Smith uh, from The Simpsons, um, Walter Cronkite. Then you've got Martin Short. What? You've Wait, got John Goodman. You've got Rhea Perlman. You've got Jay Leno. You've got Julia Child. This is out of control. I know. What? It's honestly <laughs> upsetting. I love the way you QVC'd that, by the way. QVC'd um, it. Okay, so I just saw, uh, just be, while we're talking about horrible movies, um, I have to tell you, I just saw like the trailer for a movie called Tiptoes. Have you heard about this? No. Is it a horror movie? Oh, no. I mean, it is. It is I mean, I cannot believe how it is one of the most offensive things uh-huh. ever. Not offensive to any group I'm in, but it's also just, it's horrible. It's about Matthew McConaughey. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I can see this is going to go very well. <laughs> um, Matthew McConaughey falls in love with... A dinosaur. Is it Patricia? No, no, no. It's so, oh gosh, I can't say. Oh, Kate Beckinsale. Okay. And she finds out that even though he's normal size, his parents are dwarves. And the home and the main wait, like fantasy dwarves? No. Okay, so like and, little people. Yes. Okay. And the main it, the, and why I'm saying dwarf is because they keep that's the word that they insist on. Oh, in good. Movie. Yeah. So um but the main dwarf is played by Gary Oldman in what is um, trumpeted as the role of a lifetime. No, it's not. Um, it's no one I, said in, that. In the trailer. In the trailer. Well, I've already seen him in the role of a lifetime, which is the Dracula movie that he was in in the 90s that I just watched for the first Horrible. time the other day. Where he starts oh. as old man Dracula, and then when he becomes young man Dracula, he looks like he's cosplaying Johnny Depp. <laughs> totally steampunk johnny depp that movie is awful and i actually like we follow each other on a on a i don't know if i I don't want to say it if you're not into people knowing you're on there but we follow each other on a movie app and like i saw your rating and i was like amen that you gave that movie what did i say like two stars two stars i think i gave it two stars because like honestly the set design is really good and there's like a couple of times where Mina and uh, the other one kiss. 
Uh-huh. And that red that weird red armor that looks sort of like wolfy and like ribbed is like cool armor. And also like it's pretty cl- like the Dracula Keanu Reeves thing is pretty sexualized too, which is fine with me. Um but just like Keanu Reeves in that movie, I was like surely this is post Bill and Ted and he had been in a serious movie before that, but it was like at the time was anyone able to take this seriously because like now maybe I would if he was older, but young Keanu Reeves just doesn't look like he belongs in like the 1800s. No, no, no. Only in Bill and Ted's when he goes back in a <laughs> yes. Would you think that that's where, when he that's goes back he to belongs. Dracula times? People took it super seriously because it was Francis Ford Coppola, right? So it's mm-hmm. like, I mean, I don't know what the. I mean, it anyway. Tiptoes is an abomination, but you should watch the trailer um, to see what I'm talking about. It is really horrific. Um, And I, and someone just unearthed it for me and it looked like, like they took it so seriously. Like this is the performance, like, because remember there was a whole thing also in the late nineties and early two thousands where people would play a part that was, I mean, it's still going on, but they would play a part like that was outside of their identity. Oh, you mean like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> like, you know, like even like when even when Tom Hanks was in like Philadelphia and they're like, oh my yes, gosh, he's yeah. a gay man. <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah. So stupid. Uh, you know, and it just you know, and I mean, whatever your feelings are about that, I don't think that Gary Oldman <laughs> role <laughs> is the best choice. Um <sighs> In fairness, Peter Dinklage is in it and some other people who are actually of that stature, you know? Um, yeah. But anyway. That sounds um, not great, to be honest. <laughs> I'm just going to go out and say you. it. Yeah. No, I don't know. It sounds like I've, yeah. Anyway, movies. That movie could have been improved by the inclusion of a dinosaur. If it was just, if it was, what if it was... He falls in love with a human woman, but her parents are talking dinosaurs who wear sunglasses and skateboard. I mean, that's absolute gold, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, they tried to do something sort of like that where they made the dinosaurs sitcom. Do you remember that? I do remember was- that. And I remember Oof. how horrifying it got at the end. Wait, wait what happened? Well, what basically happened what happened is like like an extinction event no are you serious yeah 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 Yeah. it's like that's how the series ends like with them hearing on the news that like basically i mean it was like a global warming metaphor as well i think because like (laughs) the company that the guy had been working for um had like destabilized the atmosphere or something and um oh wow yeah i know they uh they were like hearing the news like oh basically the we're going into like like the ice age or something it's like oh my god this got dark wow so that's like uh yeah i think back then because when when did that come out i think that that was probably the 90s so it was like ozone layer like the yeah whole ozone layer like concern more than they would call it global warming yes right? i think that's yeah. right all those chlorofluorocarbons. No one talks about them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah. I don't know. if I feel like things still have them in them. I don't know. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so dinosaurs. Uh, one more thing about dinosaurs. And then Please. You, should, you should pull me away from this prehistoric 
splendor. Um, Carnosaur. Do you know this movie, Carnosaur? No. Oh, my God. It, Carnosaur is incredible. Imagine, imagine, if you will, a movie about killer dinosaurs that mm. are puppets, essentially. Um, and, like, look as cheesy as any sort of dinosaur puppet, like, from 70s, land, 70s 80s, Land of the Lost. But, like, a really gory and sometimes scary and somehow even good movie. Like, that's Carnosaur. It's great. It's, it's absolutely great. And I don't know how it sort of got lost. I think it, like, it happened post, like, peak dinosaur mania, like the time that we're talking right, about. Right, yeah. And so, like, it just kind of got lost. Like, it was just a little too late, you know? Huh. Well, yeah, <laughs> there were definitely a lot of things that just came out too late. And, um, yeah, they probably some studios thought they were going to cash in at the end there, but they were just out of luck. That's a shame. They're out of luck. Sorry. <laughs> like the dinosaurs and dinosaurs. Just like the dinosaurs, you are going extinct. That's really horrible. About? Imagine if you were a kid and that was your favorite show. And then like the last episode is like, and they all die. I mean, no, it's kind it... of what you want for every show that you watch. Uh, yeah. Ever. No, it is what we all want. <laughs> you do. We like, all crave you... the sweet embrace of death. Right. Well, the death of all your favorite characters, you know, also because like, I hate, okay, Twin Peaks aside, I really hate shows that like the fact that shows can come back at any moment now. Like, Mm. I really want like the finality of, you know, of longing for a show that's ended. Like I want it to be done. I want it to be over and I don't want it to come back because if it comes back, then I can't long for that show anymore. You know, and usually it's always worse too, you know, yeah. when it comes back. Um, so I feel like one of the ways they could achieve that is by just killing every character. <laughs> <laughs> like that's a mandate, you know, at the end of every, like on this, the series finale, like everybody dies. Yeah. Just like, no matter if it's completely imp- implausible, um, just i mean seinfeld kind of did that where they're like everyone's Mm -hmm. in jail which is like the next closest thing i think but um no i support this idea i love it good i'm glad you like my sitcom massacre (laughs) yeah my connor sitcom (laughs) massacre that has like a certain (laughs) ring to it it's that sounds like a, a youtube channel or a podcast where you describe the last episode of every show and because it can't just be like their building catches on fire and they all die it can't just be like they're all like rocks fall on them it has to like make sense within the context of the show so the simpsons homer's like endless incompetence makes the reactor um go nuclear Uh, everybody dies yeah or if you really want to make it like really awful like bart like does a prank that ends up killing everybody and like only he's left alive and then and then like out of like guilt he just ends his own life (laughs) jesus how about friends the friends are (laughs) destroyed by uh people reclaiming their neighborhood um they're destroyed they're cast into the river yeah i mean and by the end of that series you probably would have cheered for that anyway oh, absolutely. Like, didn't you like them less and less as it went on like i never really watched i didn't follow it 
I was more of a Frasier kid. Oh, so I see. Um, well, then tell us how that one would go because I'm not. I don't. I, I realize I'm probably how that one would this, end. But... Okay, so the canonical ending of Frasier. I guess spoilers if you haven't seen Frasier, which ended <laughs> 20 years ago. Um, well, more like 15, probably. Basically, Frasier is going to move to California for work, and. Uh, Niles and Daphne have a baby and like his dad got married and um, but then Fraser decides to go to Chicago to like chase this girl he's that like they were in love but then she had to move and so it's like a whole thing it ends on like a a question mark so Fraser's plane crashes that's exactly where I was on on the way to Chicago Uh, everyone survives except for him um (laughs) And then, I don't know, the other members of the cast, Eddie just, like, dies of old age in his sleep because he's a dog and, like, I don't want anything bad to happen to him. Uh, He's the, and he deserves, he's blameless. He also is, like, better than blameless because he antagonizes uh, Fraser constantly. Um, God, Mark, I don't know. This is a little dark for me because I love those characters. (laughs) Although I will say that a friend of mine, um, Julia Gaffer, did a mini comic about Fraser and like basically an atomic bomb goes off and then Fraser and Niles are like wandering around the ruins of Seattle. Um, and <laughs> it's very funny and good. And one of them wears Eddie as a hat, which is horrible, but, um, <laughs> and then, uh, and then Martin shoots the one who did that, I think. Um, and Fraser is like, I'm going to become king of this new world through my keen psychoanalytic skills. Oh, well, I mean, this, this sounds like a whole new, like, it's probably not new. I'm sure people do it all the time, but like a new genre of like slash fiction where instead of the Ooh. characters fucking, like you find out how they all, how they all die, like in one episode or something <laughs> like that. I'm sure there is, I'm sure that is a fix genre. Um, it's gotta be, right? Yeah. What is it called? Dear listeners of this episode. Well, let us know what the technical, called. the term for that in... Like, they'll either just say, like, major character death, or some things we'll call it snuff, which is obviously comes from the idea of a <laughs> film where a human being is killed on yeah. camera. Um, but, uh, yeah, speaking of psychoanalysis, <laughs> do you like that? Yeah. Do you like that segue? Yes, that was um, a really good, that was a really good uh, segue. Thank you. That was the point of the whole Fraser thing. Um <laughs> But uh, that was a long game. That was a long game. Yeah, I do like to play the long game. Um, so are you what are your feelings on psychoanalysis? Because I know that you have a podcast called Against Everyone with Connor Habib, and you recently, I think today actually, had a psychoanalytic theorist on your show, yeah. Yeah, and I've had psychoanalysis. <clears throat> I've had like psychoanalysis themes throughout the show, mm. and I've had some other psychoanalytic thinkers on. Yeah, I'm like really, I'm highly into it, really? and you are too, huh? Because you, well, you wrote your Mario thing, right? Well, that was mostly <laughs> a joke, using basically the level of knowledge of Freud that I could have gleaned from watching um, Bugs Bunny cartoons in the '90s, but. <laughs> uh i i have read um the interpretation of dreams i read that a couple Uh months ago it did take me a very long time um Uh and 
there's a lot I like about it. And um, I think Fred's really interesting because of how he's basically not studied in psychology departments anymore. And he's basically just used in like mm. English and like lit analysis now um, because, you know, psychologists have all moved on to like either um, brain based stuff or like um, therapies that um, are like seen to be effective basically by state funding agencies like CBT or DBT. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think all the, I think there are lot, there's lots to like about developments in therapy and psychology, but for me, yeah. psychoanalysis is where it's at. Really? And I, I, I like using it, you know, first of all, to analyze culture, but even, you know, for me, I went through four years of Lacanian psychoanalysis. Wow. So um, I have like experience of it as like when you're a patient in psychoanalysis, you're called an analyst and. So I've had experience of it as an analyst and. Um, and, uh, and also just sort of looking into it theoretically. And I think, you know, there are so many things that are important about it. And one is that the unconscious is a real thing. So, mm. you know, I think that that is really, really important for people to think about in our moment because people talk about things so knowingly. And our entire sort of like, you know, politic of justice now like so much of it is based on um identity i think there's so much that's good about identity politics so i'm not gonna like this on it but i think that uh identity a lot has to do with i am i am this i am this i am this mm. and it's like psychoanalysis would always you know try to say like you don't you have no idea what you are <laughs> like and in fact the things that you say you are are coming from a place that you know they're they're emerging from a not knowing very often and mm -hmm. you might not know what you want what you think you know and in in some ways you have to do you can reach or get closer to some of those things but you need help doing that you need assistance doing that and I think that that's really important and I also think you know the other thing is like with Freud you know, you can hate every single thing that Freud has said, except one thing, I think. If you just get one thing down, like, you can throw the rest away. I don't think you should throw the rest away, but you can if you need to, which is that, <clears throat> like, people have said forever that we are subjects of knowledge. In other words, we know things, and then we know better things, and then we know better things. And we just sort of, like, move on by, like, learning better things by gaining more knowledge. But Freud really just said, no, that's not true. We're subjects of desire. We want things and we want things and we want things. And that's mm. at the basis of everything we do. I think that's so potent and profound and like a real revelation for our moment too, which is, you know, <clears throat> we can sort of look at our political situation and say, why do we, what, what's, what's wanted here instead of what's known? You know, mm. and that's a different question. Yeah, I know that makes a lot of sense. And I think the other um, the other thing that's interesting to me about Freud is that, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe in his earlier work, he so he had all these female patients who like when he was, you know, working with them would like basically start talking about like child sexual abuse. And mm -hmm. like incest. And so he, and at the time, like the concept of child abuse did not exist. Like that didn't, I'm not sure like that a lot of people know that the concept of child abuse didn't even really exist until like 
the mid right. to late 20th century. Like it just wasn't a concept, um, which doesn't mean it wasn't bad, obviously, before that. I'm just saying like people didn't understand it um, the way we do now. Uh, and so he had all, like, had all this data and was like, wow, like look at all, this is where these dreams are coming from. And this is like this like big problem. And then basically people were just like, like you can't publish that like stop and so he was like oh okay yeah no it's actually because women want to fuck their dads <laughs> well <clears throat> i think it was i think it was a little a little different than that um so what happened with that moment was that freud kind of saw like that so many people said that they were being abused that he decided to say like okay, there's so many cases of child abuse. Like in some ways I can't believe that this is so, right? So part mm. of it was a disbelief, which, you know, it might've been better for us if he did believe <laughs> that it was so, but what he did was um, <clears throat> I think also important, even though he could have sort of stuck with that a little bit too, which is that he relocated the importance of um the feelings of abuse saying like we can't just say that it's the activities that happen in someone's life that matter. We have to say that their feelings, impressions, and uh, experiences are the things that we're going to be working with. And we might not mm. be able to always trace those back to something that we would call abuse, but nevertheless, that's really important. So it's like one of those things that Freud kind of gets a bad rap for, which is like, Oh, he was saying that not as many people were ab as being abused as he saw. But I think actually it's kind of a liberatory thing in some ways to say what we see from the outside might not look like abuse to us, or maybe we can't locate the abuse, but we're still dealing with very real feelings of trauma, abuse, you know, violence, those kinds of things. So we need to theorize about it, you mm -hmm. know, in some way that kind of removes it from the realm of us determining oh, this is what happened, so you were abused, so I'm going to treat you in this way, you know? Right. And, <clears throat> you know, the other thing he gets a bad rap for is being sexist, which I think he probably in his personal life was a sexist. But what people do then is they say, well, he was a sexist, so psycho psychoanalysis is sexist. But the psychoanalysis has more, is like more female-dominated discipline than most disciplines mm. and has had major contributions by women, Melanie Klein, uh, Anna Freud, et cetera. But, um, but really, the, even to me, sort of like more exciting than that is that a lot of things he said that people think are sexist, whether it's the penis envy thing or the castration thing, whatever it might be, he was really saying like a lot of women's like lives are shaped by the fact that men are so fucked up mm. and like so a huge part of the the uh project of psychoanalysis was pathologizing like the phallocentric culture and saying like we need to actually move past this culture it's not it's not it's not good for us it's not healthy for us mm. um not to let freud off the hook for everything i mean it's, it's like <laughs> no, of course not <laughs> But just to sort of reclaim psychoanalysis in a way that's like, you don't have to love Freud to see that it's developed so mm -hmm. much since him with so many thinkers. And I said I went to Lacanian analysis, like Jacques Lacan is the person that really sort of brought it back, brought Freudianism 
Freud, Freudianism? I don't know, back in like a real way um, uh, to mass culture. And then Zizek helped with, you know, that too. Like, popular, <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, I've just been online too long. And Zizek is just like, I can only ever think of him <laughs> in the context of like jokes or like that time, um, you know, when uh, uh, the, the Last Jedi came out and people were posting pictures of like old Luke Skywalker next to Zizek. Oh, really? I didn't see yeah, that. Yeah, it was very oh. good. It was classic. You know, what a weird, like, what a weird person. You know, it's like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy in some ways. Well, there are things he says that I don't agree with and that I find really troubling sometimes, but also like someone who's like, I'm going to be a philosopher who people know and I'm going to try to do my best, you know, doing that. I think that that's, I'm, I'm happy for that, you know, um, <laughs> cause there's not that much of that. Like there aren't really, there aren't really public intellectuals in the same way that he's a public intellectual, you know, and um, who are our public intellectuals in America in 2018? God, do you have any examples? Um, yeah, I think there's, um, I think there's a few. I think they're mainly like more literary than than like philosophical. But I think there's a lot of overlap. I think Tana Hisi Coates would probably, yeah, like yeah, a lot of people would think of him. I think someone like Malcolm Gladwell, for better or worse, people would think of him. Right. Um, what a goofball that guy is. Uh, <laughs> there are there are these people. Um, yeah, I, no, I, don't I think Tanahisi Coates is probably a better example, though I think a lot of stuff he says like drives me bonkers. Um, sure, you know, but but I think like you were right to say like the literary thing because like for me, a public intellectual is someone who tries to um, think about almost like who tries to think about everything. You know, like Susan Sontag said this thing like a writer should be somebody who is interested in everything. And I think it's the same mm -hmm. for a public intellectual who's really curious about literature, about art, about, you know, politics, about justice narratives, about history, about economics, like who really tries to like engage with, you know, just being human and all those currents. And, you know, I think someone like Malcolm Gladwell is so, you know, and, and to a lesser degree, Todd Easy quotes, like they're, they're kind of specialized in some ways. Which, like, that's fine. I mean, all public intellectuals are, but, like, in a way that somehow pulls away from the people that we used to think of as public intellectuals, you know? Hmm. I don't know. Did you ever see that, like, 1971 TV um, debate between Noam Chomsky and Michel Foucault? No, I've I've heard about it, of course, and you can read a transcript of it, but I've never it's... I've never read it. It's just like unreal because this was on TV. <laughs> I mean, it was in the Netherlands, right. but this was on television. Like people watched this, maybe not a lot of people, but um, God, like what, what the fuck? I know. It's, it's so sad when you think about that, like that we don't do that kind of shit anymore. I mean, it, you know, I live in LA where it's like, you try to push something that's intelligent at all, like in meetings or whatever. And they're just like, mm. you know, I have a, I have a friend who has had two TV shows and like 
he would say a word, and literally if the word had more than like four syllables or three syllables, they'd be like, mm, no, you need to, it's like you'd almost see them like pulling it out of his mouth and throwing it in the garbage and like making him say something else. And there's, there's not a, there's not an idea that, you know, the audience has a responsibility, you know, yeah. it's like, because it's just consumer culture. And th- I think that that's really that makes me so sad. It's actually some. It's like the main thing I try to do on my show, which is like, is to go deep into ideas where otherwise people might have stopped or held off. Even if I sound sometimes like a complete buffoon or unintelligible, or like <laughs> we end up doing so much inside baseball, I try to always pull it back and then express in plain language to make it accessible to people too, um, who aren't already part of the conversation. But I, but I do always want to sort of go deep with things, you know. Yeah. And I mean, my show's not on, on TV, um, but yet, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> yeah, it's not. And my, my last season, I would have to die. So, gonna... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could just you could be like The Simpsons, just keep going. That's um, true. <laughs> yeah. The Simpsons are. That's so why they of death. have to keep going because those characters <laughs> exactly. desperate they've come to life and they desperately don't want to die um, <laughs> exactly they're terrified they're begging the animators please don't kill us <laughs> but i think honestly and i'm not just saying this because you and i both do this but i think like a podcast is like one of the closest things to those kinds of conversations because it actually can happen you know on a podcast if you yeah. if you wanted to you know yeah no i think that's absolutely right um <laughs> it's funny like i was uh no, this is a guy who I have mixed feelings about, and I think on balance is mostly like a goofball. Um, so you know David Mitchell, not the novelist, the the comedian. Oh yeah, yeah. So Peep Show is like probably my favorite TV show of all time. I think David Mitchell is like kind of whatever, but I was rewatching his old like little videos he did on things that bugged him, which is just like. I'm, I'm making a jacking off motion right now. You can't see it because that is the limitations of, of radio. But uh-huh. um, but there was one that was basically just like talking about how um, TV can't make references to things anymore. Um, like uh-huh. to not to just like other pop culture things, which it definitely does all the time, but to like, you know, historical things or to like more obscure things, um, which is ironic given that it's like an era in which those things are easier to learn about and look up than ever. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. And do you think it's like, like, yeah, it's, you know, we've exported, we've exported our memory and, but instead of like trying to make room, like it hasn't made room for us. Like <laughs> you would think, okay, I freed up all this sort of internal space by putting everything that I could know or whatever into the internet. But now, mm-hmm. like, but what did I get out of that? <laughs> and I think that that's when people talk about like, oh, I'm going to go off social media for like uh, a week or whatever. I'm always like, no, don't do that. I mean, that's fine. You can do that. <laughs> but instead, like, try not to use a search engine for a week. Like mm. that would really screw you up, you know, and really yeah. show you like, the dependence, you know, like, but you got to go to the store to see if it's open or open a fucking phone book, <laughs> you know, or figure out directions from a map or whatever. I think that those things would be really, uh, 
really instructive. And, and, uh, and it's also something I've never done. Hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I basically grew up um, with, with search engines, like since high school, I mean, they weren't as sophisticated. um, But like, you know, and there was more than one than Google, um, you know, you would like you would ask Jeeves or you would go to Alta Vista um, or Yahoo. Yeah, ask Jeeves. Yeah, now it's just ask.com. I think they killed Jeeves. Um, What was the dog one? Wasn't there a dog one? Was that like fetch or something like that? It sounds, I mean, I would say stop trying to make fetch happen, um, <laughs> which was their problem. They, they wouldn't stop. They kept trying to make it to, to go off and it just never did. Um, yeah, no, um, it's hard. And I think like his argument there wasn't even just like, oh, consumers, it, it, well, I don't think it was even a consumer based thing because I think that's what a lot of the time people go to is like, oh, this is problem where people are lazy or whatever i think it's much more or at least more um on the production end of things and like the the delivery end, the supply end where um there's the sense that maybe like that those things won't do well and so they're not made but that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy right yeah totally yeah they won't they i mean i remember that from like you know, when I was making porn and when I first started and the, the, (laughs) I had, you know, like a pretty, like not average body, but I didn't, I, I mean, I ended up having like a six pack and stuff, but I didn't in the beginning. And I was just kind of this normal guy with a hairy chest and body. And so I remember them saying once, like I pointed out this guy that I thought was really hot. And I was like, I'd really like to do a scene with them to this, to the studio I was working for. And they were like, well, we, you know, we can't take the risk on that. You know, if, if people are going to like him or not. And I was just like, but you guys hired me like, and they're like, yeah, but you're established. And I was like, but how did I get established? Like you hired me like many times. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's that weird. Like, it's that weird thing of like, claustrophobia of not wanting to progress even an inch you know uh, um to like and and thinking that no risk can be taken at all it's so bizarre and the kind of like static you know the complete static uh of media that happens because of that is so bizarre absolutely so unfortunate yeah um hey i wonder can i bring something up do you mind yeah. Okay, no, and we can <laughs> we can get Let's this go in whatever you... direction you want. Like if you've got the wheel, take uh, it. Just I lead do. us down. <laughs> yeah, please. Um so Lena Dunham's Syrian refugee movie. No, I'm just kidding. Um the... <laughs> I was starting to get really worried there. No. <laughs> this upcoming masterpiece. Um I no, I do you want to talk about can we talk about our spat? I feel like I've never oh, talked about a spat. Oh my on... God. I forgot about that. <laughs> so, wow. Okay. Yeah. Let's do this because um, that I think like, first of all, okay. Okay. Let's just start from the beginning um, and uh, <laughs> and we'll take it from there. Do you want to start or should I start? Um, You go ahead. You start. Yeah. Okay. My memory is hazy. I'm sure I could find the tweets um, because I have my tweets archived. As I remember, I don't 
know if I followed you or not. I may have, but maybe not. And I think I would just reply to some of your tweets and be like, yeah, well, also this. Um, and like some of it was like me. It was like well-intentioned. And um, sometimes it was like you were talking about sexuality and I would be like, yeah. And also like coming from a woman's perspective, this is different. Um, and also right. admittedly, I was kind of a shit on the internet um, even just a few years ago. And um, when I see people acting like that now, I'm like, oh, my God, this is what I was like. And it's horrible. And um, so do you want to do you want to take? Yeah. Take it yeah. I mean, that that's the sort of that's that's the uh, skeleton of it for sure. So what I remember was I, I think we followed each other. I always thought you were very funny. And um, and then I went on sort of like a bender one day, like t- tweeting about dick pics. Like uh-huh. I was saying something about like, like here, here. Well, let me just say what I said, and then let yeah, me, yeah, yeah. Like, please, let please. me let me justify for a sec. So I was saying something like, you know, like dick pics don't hurt people, like even if they're unsolicited. Now you can imagine on Twitter how this goes with no context for like who I am or what I do. Sure. Because what, what I was trying to say was like, and what I always mean when I say stuff like that is like, let's get to a world where we're not harmed by the things that we're harmed by now. Mm. Now, obviously we have to do a ton of work to dismantle and like disassemble like the ways in which like guys treat women like shit and scare the shit out of them and commit acts of violence on them and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know? But so like, you know, one day I wake up and I'm like, gosh, imagine a world where like, this would be fine and we could just be naked and share naked pictures of our naked bodies with each other. And it would be no big deal. You know, obviously not everybody wants that, but it's like, imagine, you know, like that wasn't harmful. And part of it was, I had just read this article on Jezebel about this woman who she was an anthropologist and she lived with this uh, this, whatever, this group of indigenous people who, and I, I wish I knew what the name of the group was. This is a really long way of talking about this. Back, no, no, but I please. Will get to it. <laughs> and, and, um, she saw a, a bunch of women talking to each other and laughing. And she went over, she's like, what are you laughing about? And one of them was like, oh, uh, she was sleeping last night. And the guy came in, and one of the men came into her through a window and she, you know, shoot him out of the house with a broom. And she was like, well, weren't you afraid he was going to rape you? And they all kind of were like, what? And so she explained what rape meant because they didn't have the word rape in their culture. And then they all started laughing again. And she said, and, and one of the women said to her, how could a penis ever hurt you? And I remember just like really it, like taking that in as this sort of cross cultural educational mm. moment of like, hmm, like, like it seems like it would be a better culture would be available to us if we were all sort of like in, empowered to that extent. And there's a ton in, in between here and there, but you know, it's something to sort of take note of. But so I tweeted something like that, mm-hmm. that was like inarticulate or whatever it was. And I got a lot of like messages from people. And as you know, like I get message, like sort of shitty messages yeah. from people all the time, <laughs> you know, like, they're either willfully misunderstanding me or they just hate my guts or whatever. And I always feel like it's just like, you could just say you don't like me. Like, don't try to make this ideological. Yeah. Like, you don't have yeah. to, like, yes. make it a whole you thing. You should be able to just not like people. Yes. And so your tweet entered into 
that, mm. it entered into that field, right? And so I'm already like on this role of just be like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you to everybody that's like <laughs> coming at me. And then I think I said something shitty, you know, or I think, I think you unfollowed me or I said something shitty back to you. And then the funny, weird thing is like after that, after we like blocked each other <laughs> or whatever it was, <laughs> I, I thought about it for so long after. And I did not, I don't think about it like with every single person that blocks me. I do sometimes mm. feel like, could I have done better here? Like, could I have, you know, really worked a little harder in this instance, you know? But in that, in that case, like I really did think about it, you know, and every once in a while would even like your tweets would come up you know, mm. when someone RT'd them. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, that's so funny or so witty. And I'd be like, oh, so that's, you know, eventually it was like maybe a year later or two years later or something like that. Some other group of people dogpiled me for something else I said. Um, and these things just happen. It's like, I, I want to just like emphasize, like people say imperfect shit on Twitter. And sometimes it's just like a lark that everybody like loses their shit about or what, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's like, the total condemnation of the individual for saying some dumb thing when that individual is generally doing good work, I think is pretty bad news. You know, I think that that's, I think that that's bad, but that, so that day I was like, you know, like some of these people are assholes. Some of them are not. Um, How did I react? What would make me feel better today? Mm. And I was like, I think I need to apologize to Maybe not anybody on this day that I'm getting dogpiled because I thought what I had done was completely right. But maybe some of the people that I had said shit to in the past, you know, I need to apologize to. So then I emailed you and said, I'm sorry. And you were so awesome about it. Like, you were so cool about it. <laughs> well, I feel like, okay, like, I don't want to tell other people, like, how they should deal with conflict or, like, apologies or anything like that. But to me, I, because you know, I, I've had my share of, of, of fights online, not so many recently because I've just stopped arguing online because it was really bad for me. Um, but that happened a lot. And, um, you know, people would just message me and be like, fuck you, you're fucking horrible. Um, and I would be like, yeah, what the fuck? And like, I usually never replied like often because they blocked me before I could, which, you know, I'm in agreement with Sarah Shulman there. Sending someone a bunch of stuff, then saying, like, never reply to me or, like, I'm not going to listen to your reply is kind of like psychopathic behavior. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was like, I don't know. So that would happen all the time. And occasionally I would get people messaging me being like, I'm so sorry for, like, years ago how I – um like how I spoke to you, I was just being like a total asshole. And like, I didn't know where you were coming from. Um, and like my response has always been like, thank you. Like, I really appreciate that. Um, because someone who brings that stuff up rather than like doing the thing of like, if someone just like, you know, leaves it forever, whatever. Um, but if someone just like pretends it never happened and tries to just like start engaging again, that's like, Right. Yeah. Uh, like I don't usually yeah. I I always forgive the stuff but like I never really forget it. Um I kind of wish I could, but I also had had just read I think you mentioned Sarah's book actually in that email. Uh-huh. Um 
Uh-huh. Oh, yes, that's right. I had just seen Sarah speak, like, right after that dog pile. That's right. I saw her speak at um, Skylight Books, and it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, and I don't know. I feel like... She's a public intellectual. She is, who doesn't get as much credit or, like, as totally. much um, play as as she should. But I don't know. Yeah, to me, it's like... Yeah, obviously, like, there are certain people who... You know, I was thinking about one today um, who, if they, um, you know, apologize to me or something, maybe I would, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the, the people who have done the worst things to me and whether <laughs> I would uh, like accept it or not. And it's sometimes hard to say, but I feel like in a lot of cases, you have less to lose than to gain than by doing that. Um, mm-hmm. Especially when it's like the result of a misunderstanding or um like by not like describing like malicious harm to things when it sometimes is just a misunderstanding um that can be really powerful i think yeah i mean i think that to the extent that you're willing to like go after someone and attack them you should also have an equal capacity to forgive them you Mm. know like if they say they're sorry or if you realize you're wrong or whatever, you know, and I, I always try to say that, like, even when I, like, I was making a joke about Lena Dunham before, like, I've, I've been like on podcasts and I'm like, oh, she's just a garbage person, like, because of all her, you know, like anti-sex work stuff and like what, what all her like weird stuff, you know, and then I'm like, but, it, you know, I try to catch myself and say, but if she you know, really tried to like make amends and apologize for some misrhetoric and whatever, like we have to be able to like listen to that. And I, I just mm. think it's so like there's something really bad about things being, you know, unhealable, you know, and unforgivable. I think that that's really bad news. Like that's carceral punitive state stuff, you know, and we need to yeah, absolutely. To deal with that. And 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 I also think it's like you know, I mean, everybody says this about the internet, but I just feel like it's particularly true for people, <laughs> and I am including myself in this, uh-huh. but it's, it's an egotistical statement, but it's particularly true for people who are trying to sort of push on the boundaries of culture a little bit, you know, right. like, yeah. I'm really interested in sexual liberation and sex workers' rights. I'm interested in thinking more deeply about things. And, it, you know, when when you when you do that, it's uncomfortable for people that are looking in and, and listening sometimes because it's precisely about the things that have not been thought about or have been, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't mean it in some sort of like weirdo incel atheist way, like you know, <laughs> nobody's going to let me talk about this. I mean, right. like, things that are actually kind of unexamined in culture, you know, and especially when it comes to sex is so so triggery in a real way for some people and in and, and a not real way for other people. And, and so, um, you know, it's such a sensitive topic. And so it's like, if someone doesn't know me or has never had a conversation with me, doesn't know my body of work at all, or the fact that, you know, like, I, like, there, you know, one comment that lands the wrong way can have such an intense <clears throat> effect on them. But it's yeah. like, you know, I can't hold the internet responsible or them even necessarily responsible for that. It's like, well, this is just how things are now when we try to have conversations. So, so, so what do you do? Like, you know, um, I've been thinking about that lately. Yeah. 
Oh, this stuff is hard. <laughs> but I'm glad we talked about it. That's that because um, I don't know. That's not a thing that gets talked about much. I don't know. Like I don't can't remember the last time I saw someone talking about like, yeah, I had this like really big like blow up with someone online and then right like, <laughs> someone took this the step like the very difficult step of reaching out and the other person like reciprocated um there's so many places for that to like that 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 can potentially go wrong um often just like never happens in the first place so yeah that was uh that's really cool yeah thanks i i was so happy with how you were just so gracious in your response and i think like I think a huge part of like our conversation right now, as weird as it sounds or as counterintuitive as it sounds, needs to be about giving up power. Like mm. instead of trying to seize it, like yes, there's there's something to seizing power, especially when someone's, you know, about to punch you in the face or whatever. <laughs> like but there but there's you know, there's also this other cultural move of like like you said, it's it's a that's a move to be like Ooh, I'm going to apologize to this person. I don't know how they're going to respond. And in fact, one of the other people I responded to was like, fuck you to me, mm. you know? And I've had to like really like hold back my anger at that person saying, fuck you, you know, and be like, you put yourself on the line, not because you needed them to re respond one way. You did it because you felt like it was the right thing to do. You know, yeah. like it's not about the response, but that first act of like giving up power I just wish that were more of our conversation right now too about what's going on in the world. It's like, if you want, you know, it's just like nuclear disarmament. Like someone's got to do it first, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like a vulnerable thing to do. Yeah. <sighs> so basically we are like um, disarming nuclear missiles. You mm -hmm. and I, this conversation We've right now. We've solved it essentially. In our hearts. In, in our, our hearts, hearts and in our minds. And on we've, the show. we've won. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to to cite our greatest living president. Um <sighs> that was a joke for people who may have thought that I was praising our 40 something. I don't know. How many presidents are there? There's too many. We too many we... states, too many presidents. Also, it's like greatest living president is such an oxymoron, you know? <laughs> I know, right? The only good president, you know. Uh, is Dead Prez, the rapper. Or, um, yeah, I know. Or the Dead Kennedys who, you know, oh, yeah, Kennedys, maybe. I don't know. I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I think we're basically at the, near the end of our time. Um, okay. I don't want to rush you, though. Is there, were you on a thought that you were about to... No, I mean, I think, I think that there's just like, like, I think I want to just hear you say something more about that turn, like, you know, where you say, I try not to be this way online anymore, you know, and yeah, I, people are still giving you shit, you know, I, it's I don't not see like, it, it's not like people have stopped, you know, um, yeah, maybe they've stopped a little bit more because you haven't been giving them what they need to be fueled to give you shit but it's like how did you do that like do you have an idea of how and like what happens when that like rising fuck you comes and you're just like mm. like is that an inner thing for you how do you deal 
Yeah. How did I do it? Um, <laughs> how do I do it? <laughs> I, <laughs> not, how do, how does she do it? No. Um, you know, I think it was um, my then girlfriend, now ex, who basically was just like incredibly worried about me and was like, hey, when you get into these huge things online, it like is really awful for you. It like activates all your stuff. Um, it makes me worry about you because people are like coming after you and like, I don't know what they're going to do. And I was just like, yeah. Like, I don't want to, it's one of those things where like, you know, for yourself, you're just like, I'm going to keep doing this self-destructive pattern forever mm -hmm. <laughs> um, until someone else is like, hey, someone who cares about you is like, hey, this is kind of upsetting me to see you go through this. Uh, and then uh -huh. I was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to not, I'm going to try not to do that so much anymore. So over like the last two years, um, I, um. I think I sort of stopped tweeting about things that then this is kind of sad actually, because I don't really tweet about anything. Like I don't do like long threads about difficult subjects anymore. Um, and often like my tweets are often just really like jokes for the most part now. Um, and I also stopped looking at my Twitter so much. So I got an app that um, prevents me from, getting on Twitter on my computer at certain times of the day. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, what else? I, yeah, I took it mostly off my phone. I don't look at my timeline anymore. So I, it's kind of also sad. Like I've lost a lot to get this. Like, I don't think it's an easy thing to do. Um, and it's definitely not something that everyone can do. I don't know what's happening anymore in the world. I don't know what's happening with a lot of my friends, but I've tried to actually like make closer friendships with people here where I'm like actually hanging out with them on like a, you know, weekly basis. Um, yeah. but that has involved like disconnecting a lot. And I'm definitely not one of those people who's like, Oh, we all need to like disconnect more from the internet. But for me, that I think was a really healthy thing to do. And it was really the only way that I was ever going to step back from that stuff. And now when I see, when I happen to somehow see truly terrible takes or when I happen to be reminded of people who just infuriate me with their, you know, their fame or their success. Um, I have a secret Twitter, like a private Twitter account where I just vent about it to like, a, you know, a dozen of my closest friends, essentially. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. the sort of the, long answer, I guess. No, those are all really good, like, strategies, I think. I, I feel like, you know, I feel like the crux of it for me is is still like well one, one is that there's just some people that are just horrible trolls like i unblocked everybody and i unblocked everybody because you did it like i mm. you you i saw you tweet something like you're all unblocked or something <laughs> like that and then i unblocked everybody and two weeks later these like three people who i had unblocked for years like two and a half three years immediately they were just like I mean, it's two weeks, but like very quickly, like we're just on me again and just like rallying tons of people to like wow. go at me. And I was like, this is what you've been waiting for. Like, this is so pathetic. So I blocked them. Yeah, I now have like <sighs> nine people blocked. One is like some guy that did some shit to me in real life. And I was like, you have to stay blocked. But then there are some other people who 
speak in real life, it, like off, offline. Um, and then, you know, there were these other people that were just sort of waiting at the gate. And I was like, this is so gross. How? But also, like, I've been trying to, like, you know, do like do like the conflict kind of mediation stuff instead, instead of just like firing back at someone. But the thing that I get sucked into, I got sucked into it today with some woman who had written this really transphobic article. Did you see this? Like, maybe I shouldn't tell you about it, but it's like. So here is the answer when anyone says, did you see? <laughs> the answer is no. The answer always returns inevitably no. Okay. Because I don't see things now. And that is a Good. blessing and a curse. Good. Good. So don't look at it. But there is an article by someone who I won't say who. So you don't investigate about how turf is not a slur and all this kind of stuff or it is a slur right and turf is a slur rather and is and shouldn't be used anymore and we need to drop it for the sake of lesbians everywhere or something or something for like the that. children like, mainly as if yeah right right you know because there are no trans lesbians there are no you know lesbians who are not turfs like you know like it's just this crazy thing and it was really poorly written and i saw it and like people were like all these people were like upping it in the uk and stuff because you know there's this crazy upswelling of anti-trans stuff and communities and especially lgb communities in the uk and you know and they're all also sex work exclusionary radical feminists and all that so like i see that and i'm like i feel like i don't want people to be like having these conversations without a challenge or without someone just being like screw you you know like and you know, I, or I see, you know, like there's this whole new group of like tankies who hate sex workers and stuff. It's just, it's awful. Like these like socialists who hate. I love when, uh, I love when like a 19 year old boy talks about how (laughs) under communism, there won't be sex work and you're brainwashed (laughs) and is using arguments that are 20 years old or like 40 years old. As if he just discovered them for the first time and isn't a man. um, Or like invented them even. (laughs) Yeah, or like invented these politics that sex workers basically invented. Like, uh, I don't know, that stuff. I saw that stuff earlier this week. And it's just like incredibly upsetting because. um, So you you did see. (laughs) Well, I did see some of that stuff. And that stuff to me is like one of these examples of things where there is kind of some like misunderstanding and, and miscommunication on both sides, I would say more on the side of a lot of young leftists in this case, but you know, the argument like, Oh, there, there won't be sex work under communism because it's um, inherently degrading. And like, it's basically just like allowing you like allowing men to purchase bodies. It's like a very demand based argument, like all of the more recent right. anti-sex work ones are. And then sex, sex workers being like, no, I would still do this under communism. And it's like, well, sex work, I don't think would exist under communism in the way that no wage labor would exist. Right, totally. But there would still be, you know, just like there still needs to be like um, like cleaning work and manufacturing work and all these right. things, there will still be caring work and therapeutic work. And some of that will look very similar to sex work as we know it now. Um, but it's weird because these these a lot of these younger leftists are very like, 
socially regressive in a lot of ways. Like they're almost just like, like sex is a sacred thing that should only be shared between like loving partners. And I'm like, no, where, like where in Marx did you read that? Like, who are you reading that? What communist are you reading that says that romance is anything but like an invention of capitalist um, society? Like, uh, uh, sorry, I'm getting a little off subject. Here. No, no, no. You're not getting off subject because those are the people that like, like that was this group of people that have like dog. And in fact, two of those people like were two of the trolls that I was talking about that I blocked and then just like resurfaced out of nowhere, you know, out of the, the muck. And so, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, it, 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 I see that and I get really worried about that because I'm like, you know, we've just as sex workers made some advancement in, you know, like getting socialists to care, getting Marxists to care, all that kind of stuff now. And like, there's been some actual conversation about it happening. And so then this backlash starts going on or whatever. And some of the people are sex workers, like, you know, like there's, there's a few, and there's not a lot, but some of them are sex workers that are like, you know, like, and and I just think, and, and I mean, I have my doubts about, you know, the real engagement with sex work and, but I, but I don't want to have to be proofy about it. Yeah. I'll just say some of them are sex workers. And it's like, I think that it's, it's such a huge thing where I just want to step in and be like, we, this can't be the way that the conversation goes. Like I, I feel a responsibility to engage in that conversation and to say, mm -hmm. no, 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 no. Like, we don't all agree with this. We're not all on the same page. Like, this isn't cool. And like, you're giving ammunition to people, you know, who are not really allies, but are sort of like, just, you know, don't really care about sexual workers. They care about, you know, a, a certain view of socialism, but they don't really care about sex workers, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's like, it's so obvious to me, basically, all the things you said, which is like, yeah, the the relationship with the, you know, wage, you know, the wage labor relationship is non-consensual. But that doesn't mm -hmm. mean the activities that you do that are somehow linked to the wage labor relationship are completely non-consensual. Like that to me is idiotic. It's like, right. You do and lots also, of things, yeah, like, you know, like every anti-sex work based argument on these lines, like the issue isn't the consent stuff because in like, it's exactly the same as any other job that involves your body or right. um, the issue is that people see sex as like a, a categorically different thing from teaching or cooking or wiping someone's ass or any of those things. Um, it's just based on this really regressive idea about the sacredness of sexuality and the idea that it always taints you or always right. like leaves an impact on your soul to do this outside of the context of like an intimate monogamous loving relationship. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's not a surprise to me that some of these people are Christians. <laughs> like, oh, I mean, absolutely. I'm, I myself am a Christian, but like, I am like an esoteric Christian, which is a completely different thing. You're on that but, like, Simone it doesn't... Veil shit? Well, w oh, way weirder than that. But I think, <laughs> <laughs> but I, although I love, I love Simone Veil, but she's perfect. Um, but I, but I was thinking like about how, you know, like, they're assuming that their critique of sex is coming from some undiluted, pure, 
knowing place of what Mm -hmm. healthy sexuality is. And it's like, no, I don't think that's true. And, you know, and then the go-to is like, well, the patriarchy says this is the patriarchy. And it's like, how do you know that the patriarchy hasn't formed your idea? And right. Yeah. I can You're tell outside you, of the system somehow miraculously. <laughs> I can tell you how I understand how the patriarchy in- intersects with my sexuality because I've been thinking, talking, writing, and investigating sex for like, you know, over 10 years now in a serious way, you know, and I've been like really pursuing this. And like, there are other thinkers and writers who do as well and organizations that do as well. But like, you're not a part of that. So I don't know where you think that this like beautiful view of, you know, nuclear family sex, you know, is coming from. And so I think it's like, it's basically, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's just, it, in some ways it relates to the problem of thinking that, you know, you don't need any identity politics or theories when you have, you know, labor critique. It's like, uh, no, you really do need those things as well. Right. And maybe, and, and they need to find an agreement with each other, I think. It's really important for them to find an agreement with each other, but dialectics matter. Like you can't just have a critique of economics and labor. Like it do- it just doesn't. Work right. Out yeah. That well, well, I thought we got over this with post-structuralism because I think a lot of people don't really know what that term means, and they think it's synonymous right. with postmodernism. It's not. Um, like post-structuralism is implies like after a structure, right, or that means after structure, and the structure traditionally in academia is um is materialist analysis is like marxist analysis right um there are other ones like there is like just basically a feminist analysis that is just basically like patriarchy is the only structure that determines how the world works but post-structuralism was like actually there are lots of different things going on and those things inform one another but they're not um no one of them is like determining of all of the others essentially right right yeah and i think that that's so it's so important and even if there were one that were determining all the others even if that were true one we wouldn't know how to get to it but two like that doesn't mean that the others aren't worthy battles you know <laughs> like worthy right things yeah to you don't just like can on you know you, you have to do triage sometimes um right. And yeah, you know, you, you, I thought we got over this in the seventies and eighties, but um, no, no. Apparently, and- some people read that's like stuff from before that, and or or either just read <laughs> Marx or just read Dworkin or something, and we're like, this is right. this is it. This I don't need to read anything from before nineteen seventy nine. Well, it is the really from after nineteen seventy nine, like really weird, you know, collusion of like Jordan Peterson and socialists. Like, it's this weird, like, coming together of, like, these two streams of culture, where it's, like, all, like, identity politics and intersectionality and social justice warriorism and all that kind of stuff. Like, all of that is terrible, you know, and uh, and then, like, also, like, <laughs> and then, like, somehow, like, trying to incorporate Marx into that. I mean, that, it's, ma- it's, ma- there's, it's Maoism in a way. It's, like, a distorted, I mean... Maoism doesn't necessarily need distortion to be bad, but it is like a distorted Maoism, it's distorted feminism. It's like, it's very bizarre. And, you know, that's part of why when we were talking about psychoanalysis before, that's why it's so important to me. It's like, like, you can't, like, people need to stop thinking that if somehow we just got every part of culture lined up, everything would be fine. 
No, you have to do inner work and also understand that you don't know so much about your own being. You know, that's really, really important. And also see that the culture also has an unconscious in a way, mm. you know, um, and that people want things, you know, in, in, in destructive ways sometimes that people want, like, we're, we're not going to undo like this Trumpism stuff without recognizing that people want Trump for a reason, you know, or want, you know, I don't, I don't have to pick on him. I could pick on any president or politician that like we want the people that oppress us, you know, in some ways. So why is that? And there are groups of people and individuals who have undone that kind of wanting, but we got to undo some of that, you know, as well. And that takes something more than just like Twitter you know, I read Capital when I was, you know, a freshman in college or, you know, whatever. And, or, or even worse than that, like I, I've, <laughs> I've like seen people tweeting about capitalism and, you know, now I know everything I need to know or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I feel like that brings us full circle. Yeah. <laughs> that was really artful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I do. Uh, we went, we went off on that for a little while, so that's good. No, I'm yeah, glad to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I think that um, we are about out of time, sadly. Yeah. Um, we will have to do this again, and I will have 100%. to come on your podcast if I can find a way to materialize a corporeal form that will allow me to be recorded on video. Um, but in the <laughs> meantime, do you want to tell folks where they can find that podcast and, and you online? Sure. So um, the two places to go first are my Patreon. So that's patreon.com. Um, forward slash Connor Habib, C-O-N-N-E-R-H-A-B-I-B. And that, you know, it supports all my work, but really it funds the podcast against everyone with Connor Habib. And then also Twitter is the only other thing I have, um, uh, at Connor Habib. Well, thank you so much. This was lovely. As far as first conversations go, this is like definitely, you know, right up there for me it's definitely up there for a first conversation 100 percent. and i'm <laughs> i'm really excited to talk with you more and i really appreciate being on your show thank you yeah. for the invitation thanks for coming on and i hope you have a great weekend i will you too <laughs> thanks talk to you later bye bye Secrets is hosted by Merrick Kay and produced and edited by me, Nick Bravo. Woodland Secrets is a part of Stay Mean, the world's only podcast network. We're entirely listener-supported. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron of Stay Mean at woodlandsecrets.co support. For as little as three bucks a month, you'll get access to a monthly newsletter and frequent bonus episodes of our shows. If you'd like to have a message read on the show, head to woodlandsecrets.co slash messages. You can help people find out about the show. Please mention us on Twitter. We're at Woodland Podcast and at Stay Mean Co. Or rate and review us in iTunes. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>